0: 2021 welcome back to the naked security podcast welcome to a new year um i'm kimberly trung and in case you needed a netflix recommendation i highly recommend the repair shop to my virtual left i've got the lovely doug
1: I've breaking news immediate breaking news <laughs> For those of you keeping score, you have been listening to this podcast, and you know that I've been looking for the new Xbox and the new PlayStation. Oh. I have an update. Oh, du- oh
2: du- 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 goodness du- me. <laughs> I've been waiting for this, Douglas. I, oh. I can't contain my excitement.
0: That very excited <sighs> voice is Paul Ducklin, who's on my virtual right.
2: But he, what did you get? It's complicated. I managed
1: to order the new Xbox. I placed the order on December 17th. I was given a delivery date of January 19th, more than a month away. But okay. then I got a later email saying it was showing up today. Oh, and January 6th. Yep. When I checked the FedEx website, it hasn't been updated since December 30th. So the Xbox is either coming today or was or still is in a whimsical place called
2: Phoenix.
1: i've never been to phoenix the playstation has been impossible
2: oh you mean phoenix as in arizona not phoenix as in you're waiting for it to arise from ashes well you never know so (laughs) at
0: this point (laughs) it could go either way i did have an
2: interaction with someone selling
1: a playstation um i paid them five bitcoins because as far as i know one bitcoin is worth about 100 bucks right so I gave them five bitcoins. No, they've gone
2: down. It's worth twelve dollars fifty now. Oh, two so that,
1: crowns and threepence. That would be a good deal, wow. but I was scammed out of my bitcoins, trying to get a PlayStation.
0: Are, Doug, is this a true story?
1: No, five bitcoins is worth <laughs> roughly a uh, hundred fifty thousand. About one hundred fifty large, isn't say, it? I yeah. Thought, oh no, no, yeah.
2: bitcoins <laughs> have had a little bit of a, a surge yet. Yeah. Oh, Wow. Oh yeah. So I need to get that's been them. quite the new, quite the, quite the news. For Christmas and New Year.
0: Before we get into the headlines that we're going to talk about this week, I'm just going to quickly tease the oh no of the week. Our anonymous writer says, I'll see your recent minisode about 20 years of cyber threats and raise you 30 years of bandwidth stress. Ooh. ooh Spicy. Stick around.
1: Uh, We have three great stories we're going to talk about. Uh, The first is, does a friend need money urgently? Always, spoiler alert. Um, check mm, your facts before paying out. Uh, Chrome browser has a New Year's resolution, HTTPS by default. That one is white hot. That is a hot potato. That is a spicy meatball. There's uh, People are divided on whether that's necessary. <laughs> and then finally, Zyxel, which we found out it's pronounced Zyxel. Hard-coded admin password found. Patch now.
2: I must say, for 30 years, I've been saying Zyxel. Mm-hmm. And everyone I know has called it Zyxel. Maybe that's a Commonwealth English thing. But mm. Doug actually thought I'd better check and he played a video off their website and this very plummy voice said Zyxel This could
1: all be a PR stunt for by Zyxel to get people to pronounce their name correctly, so we'll get into that. But first, fun fact, you've been able to send the at, the commercial at or the com at character, via Morse code since two thousand four. Using the AC digraph, the sequence was reportedly chosen to represent at commercial, or letter A inside a swirl represented by a C, the digraph itself sounds like so. All that for an ad. Exactly. Of course, this facilitates sending email addresses by Morse code and is notable since it was the first official addition to the Morse code set of characters since World War One.
2: Well, dot, dot, dash, dot, 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 dash to that. He said harumph. <laughs> <laughs> Actually, I, I need to be careful. I don't know what I said. Exactly. I, so I was being a little <laughs> bit facetious, but I hope it's not one of those, you know, those two-letter swear word abbreviations. Mm-hmm. Spelled, that, you uh, just said uh, AF. radio Ooh. guys have. All. Spelled Zyxel, I think. Okay. We've
1: all been there. We've been sitting at home minding our own business when we get a frantic message from a would-be friend asking for money to help pay a bill online and, of course, asking for our own banking information so that this friend can pay us back, even though this friend has been locked out of his or her own bank account and or can't figure out how to pay bills online. This happens all the time. Right, Paul? Does it?
2: So <laughs> Well, the, the, we had a reader report. Uh, that, so thanks to M. Carter for sending that in. Very kind of you. Uh over the vacation period they got one of these it, it we had quite a few reports on that day so it was quite the thing in the uk uh, at least and the the message it did come from an actual friend someone they knew you know it was the usual the, the friend's account had been hacked of course which as we mentioned in a previous podcast is exactly why crooks love social media passwords they give them a they let them get really close to your you know hearts and minds of of all your contacts and it said It was basically, I'm just on the phone to the company I need to pay money to. I've locked myself out of my banking app till midnight and I urgently need to pay a bill. Could you pay it for me? It's 290 quid, which is what, about $400? And you kind of think, well, what's the likelihood of that? But actually, in the modern era, you know, coming up to Christmas, people do get into debt because expenses go up. Lots of people have lost their jobs. And of course, the prevalence of, for better or for worse, of payday loans these days mean that it isn't inconceivable that someone's facing a midnight deadline to settle an amount that if they don't pay, it's going to cost them more the day after. So it's a little bit like that. You know, five years ago, it was, you know, you get a message saying, oh, I've, I was on an overseas vacation. I, I went abroad and I'm in some unlikely place and I got mugged and I lost all my money. You've got to wire me money, if you remember those scams. Well, those aren't really going to work in coronavirus lockdown, but this one, it seems, is something that does tug at people's heartstrings. And this reader, they didn't bait the person. They just asked very plain questions. They wanted to see where it went. And if you go to nakedsecurity.sofos.com, you can see the exchange. And it's, you know, it, it's surprisingly believable. You know, it's a finance company I took a loan from. Can you please pay the bill for me? I can pay you back extra right after midnight if you want. Does the company have a name? Yes. And they, they send the details. We redacted those and uh, you know then there's some there's some online merchant account that the, the crooks have obviously set up
1: i'm trying to think in my life who i'm good enough friends with that i would go through the trouble of right it is a pain to set up a payment account that drafts out of your bank account to pay bills like this mm-hmm. you got to put in yeah. your you got to get your checkbook you got to you got to find your routing number routing get,
0: number like,
2: account number like, yeah, yeah i
1: sorry mom uh not going to happen <laughs> So.
2: <laughs> you know, well, in the UK, it's not tremendously hard, right? You just jump into your banking app, you log in. Uh, most banks, use; they do have a form of 2FA. You put your credit card into a little reader, and then you, it's, it's a challenge response on that. It's quite a good system. And then, you know, you need that when you want to set up a new person to pay to. But all you need is the six-digit sort code, bank code, and the eight-digit account number, and the payment goes through.
1: M. Carter clearly knew this was a scam from the get-go. And I don't know how M. Carter knew this, but the first line is, and maybe this is my own personal hang up. Hi, I hope you're well. Do you use online banking? I need help paying a bill. Heart emoji? <laughs> like who's going to send, one of my friends is going to send me a heart emoji? Like even if it's a, a friend that's a girl, it's like, that's kind of inappropriate.
0: It's kind of inappropriate. Is it? Mm, I don't. I mean, I think it really depends on the person who who you think you know, who appears to have sent it, right? Like, uh, I mean, i've I've plen- I've sent plenty of, a heart emoji, but not asking for money. Yeah,
1: you think you'd put I, like a crying emoji or like a like a <laughs> uh, open uh, surprised face emoji or like I'm in trouble emoji, but like I need help paying a bill. Heart. I think,
0: but I think this goes back to the constant drum that we're beating, which is like, scrutinize the message, right? Scrutinize and look for um, clues or context clues that make you, uh, give you reason to go, hmm. Phishing emails, for example. I think we often say like, hey, you know, would you, would you normally get an email from the CEO, right? Things like that. The exchange is, hi, I hope you're doing, you're all doing well. Do you use online banking
1: and help, help paying a bill? Heart. And then M says, hi, I'm fine, thanks. What's your problem? I need to pay this bill. I've been locked out of my banking account till midnight. Can you please pay the bill for me? M says, who's the company that needs you to pay this bill so urgently? Kind of a little tongue-in-cheek. Finance company I took a loan from. Could you please pay it for me? I can pay you back extra right after midnight. Heart emoji has gone now. A single X, which means a (laughs) hug, I think. No, it's a kiss. (laughs) O is hug. Kiss. Does this finance company have a name? Yes, I can. Which means that doesn't that doesn't make sense. Would you be able to sort it out? Context from me clue if I send you the details. X kiss. Right. Yeah. What are the details? Says
2: I M. don't think you can read too much into those little marks. I think you are, I think Doug, you are overanalyzing analyzing that. I think it's quite <laughs> common for people to, to chat to their friends in a in that sort of way. It, it is a little off and obviously M wasn't falling for it. The but the obvious thing that turned them onto this is the fact that it's simply it involved money. And their rule, and the reason they report it to us, has always been like it was with the mug to broad scam, which they had some of their friends falling for. And it was always a question that the friend had been hacked is they don't mind chatting, but when it comes to money, they'll check via another route. And that's that's the simple bottom line,
1: right? They put in a legitimate... Uh, account number and reference code and, and then they say please don't forget to put the references that's how they pay my bill so is this could this be a bank account that the crook has set up to take money because then they go on and say can you let me know when you I have think exact, it's
2: exactly what it is it was it's a cloud banking service and so then they say i'll so, need your
1: details to pay you back so you shush money into my account then you give me your account details so i can ostensibly shush money back into yeah that's your a bit instead, of a I'm red
2: gonna, herring because when you do the transfer obviously The transfer shows the from and the to account. Okay. So I think that's a little bit of a red herring.
0: What do we do in this situation? I I mean, I've definitely been in a situation where I've gotten a Facebook message from someone I've never talked. I haven't talked to in years where basically acquaintances are connected on Facebook, but they send me a scammy message. um, And I personally would reply to them and say, hey, I think your account's been uh, taken over, hacked, hacked. But what else could we do? What else should people keep
2: in mind with something like this? I think the thing that people need to remember is it's very tempting to reply via the same medium, right? You get the message, you're having a chat with the person, And then you just type and then you go away and think about it and you come back and you hit them in your contact list and you say, hey, I think you've been hacked. And you forget that actually you're now contacting them via the very account that you think has been compromised. Mm -hmm. So it's clearly important to to have a reliable second way. And we've talked about this every time we've talked about crook's trying to get you on the hook whether you know it's phishing that's getting you to click on a link whether it's phishing that's getting you to open a document you're relying on an email that you're suspicious of to give you instructions on what to do next and whether that's yes you should open this attachment yes you should pay me this money or yes you should phone this phone number or reply to this email if you want confirmation obviously anything in the email is must be considered suspicious. So you need to find a reliable alternative way of contacting your friend. And even Mm
1: -hmm. if they pull the, uh, well, I'm somewhere where I can't use the phone, I can only text, you could have some sort of secret that only the two of you know. So you could ask a question like, (laughs) what's the emoji I use at the end of every sentence with you? And if they reply (laughs) heart, then you'll-
2: You're not going to tell them you're gonna phone, right? You're going to phone your buddy, Mm -hmm. your buddy will answer the phone. I mean, that was what always undid the, the, the mugged abroad is that the phone would answer on the third ring and the buddy would say, hey, hi, want to go to the pub tonight? When Back in the days when you could do that. You'd say, I thought you were in, insert name of super dangerous foreign city here. I said, no, never been there in my life. And of course, the wheels come off the scam right away. So that's the idea. You don't risk signaling to the crooks that you're going to contact via other means. Just do it. Mm. And Smart. You know, if you can't get, in a case like this, clearly, if you can't get through when... The person is actually talking about, well, they are online, therefore they they can do all of this stuff online, but the only thing they can't do is pay the bill. Then, you know, clearly if you suddenly find that they aren't online, then that, that almost undoes the scam for you. It's sort of the opposite of the way it was before. Oh, you can't call me because my phone got stolen. The bottom line, and this is absolutely true with things like romance scams as well, you know, where somebody's, oh, I love you, I love you, I want to send you a parcel, but there's gonna be a fee, or I want to apply for a visa, or I want you to buy an air ticket. You need as soon as money comes into the equation and you're being asked to stump up money to someone you haven't actually met, then then you need to do your due diligence and you need to do it very cynically, really, without relying on any contact information that that person has sent you. You need to do your own work to find out how to contact them. And very often, uh, you know, even a well-organized scam, the wheels will come off at that point.
1: Okay, and the, the last piece of advice you have in this uh, article is to report scams if you can, and you've got a great list of reporting links for various countries. Uh, so. I have, I got about
2: six, six well, Anglophone countries I've got for for ours, Canada, New Zealand, UK, United States, America, and South Africa. Uh, of course, if you look in the comments, some people go, oh, I've reported to X or Y or Z of the, of the list and nothing ever happens, and so you're wasting your time. Look, I'm not saying you should always report every single little scam or at that you think you get. Maybe that is a waste of time, but, you know... If you're motivated to do so, please do so, and don't expect a reply. You know, you can't expect the FBI to reply to absolutely everybody, but it gives, when enough people report a problem, it gives it a sense of gravitas. It gives it a, a you know, a sense of this is something that law enforcement ought to be focusing on because they have to try and prioritise, and it also it helps them decide. Given they can only put out so many warnings a year, it helps them decide how to pick the type of warnings that will help the most people the fastest.
1: Okay, does a friend need money urgently? Check your facts before paying out. That article is over on security.sophos.com.
2: The next story that we
0: have on the agenda is Chrome browser has a new year resolution, HTTPS by default. (gasps) Um... Yes. HTTPS, if you're not aware, stands for Secure HTTP, which is basically a cryptographic process that your browser performs with the web server when it connects, thus improving privacy and security by agreeing to encrypt the data that goes back and forth. Duck... How did we conjure this theory that Google is enacting HTTPS by default for the new year?
2: Well, I suppose suppose it's sort of Google. It's actually the Chromium project, which is a Google-sponsored open-source project. It's the, the browser core that is currently at the heart, obviously, of the Chromium browser, which is just directly derived from the Chromium source. But it's also what drives Chrome and, these days, Edge, Vivaldi, Brave, pretty much every mainstream browser except Firefox and Safari. And because it's open source, when changes happen in the source code, uh, then they're logged in the the source code control system. And there's basically a, a, a thing called a CL, a change list, that somebody published on the 31st of December 2020. Uh, so obviously, it's, that's why I made the joke that it's a New Year's resolution thing. <laughs> and the headline just says, "Default typed." Omnibox navigations to HTTPS, which is programmer coder slash Google jargon speak for the browser will assume you want HTTPS for default, given these code changes. Omnibox, by the way, is just Google's super fancy marketroidistic term for what you and I call the address bar. They call it the Omnibox because it doesn't just do navigation anymore you know you can do searching in it so mm-hmm. it's an omnibox but it's basically the thing at the top where you type in where you want to go next and you know that for years you've had that problem that if you just type in the name the name of a website like if you type naked and you've never been to that site before your browser still assumes that you meant to type http colon slash slash not HTTPS, at the start. It doesn't start with HTTPS. It doesn't assume that you want to go secure and only go insecure if the other end is feeble enough not to do security properly. It works the other way around. And finally, Chromium of saying, we're going we're gonna to try and switch this around so that it'll actually do it the secure way unless you go out of your way to tell it not to. And you kind of think, well, at least they squeezed it in in 2020, and you know it's it's only a proposed change. It's in the nightly builds of Chromium. It, as you can see, if you read the whole change list detail uh, report, it doesn't. It, it's not actually in the mainline code yet, and it probably won't be the default for a while because, sadly, there are still, I reckon. Just enough websites out there, just enough download sites where this change would break just enough that it'll create just enough palaver that the overall results may be to harm security rather than improve it. The reason, very simply, being that if you if you if you take what feel like necessary steps and you try and harden security and you try and make things right, two FA is a great example, right? Let's have it on everything. No, no, no. Some people don't like it, and if you try and force them, then instead of going, okay, I'll go through the learning curve, I'll learn to love it, we'll all be safe, they find a way around it, and I guess that's what the. Chromium Project's afraid of. They don't want to fix something and then encourage the very people that they want to bring along, the laggards, if you like, to go out of their way not to follow suit. But it's a start. (laughs) At last. Huzzah. Does the argument that
1: HTTPS is too slow still hold water now that TLS encryption has come along
2: as it has? I think you could still play that card if you want somebody did in the naked security article comments said oh well i found that to do a to, to set up an htps request a tls request for one request takes about 200 milliseconds i have a project that is required to produce replies within 50 milliseconds 999 times out of a thousand so i can't use tls and the answer is well maybe you need to find a different way i think now uh, I put in a comment saying, well, you know, there are some extensions to TLS 1.3 that allow you to set up a connection with no round trips, which greatly reduces the overhead because the problem with setting up TLS is there's this little cryptographic dance in in the original way that SSL and TLS worked you kind of had to you asked the other side and they replied and then you said something nice to them again and then they agreed with you and you had this little chit chat chit chat chit chat where you had to wait for their reply so if you were if you were 50 milliseconds away from the other person a reply would take 100 milliseconds if you have to do three of those that's 300 a third of a second before you can even set up the connection to start exchanging the data you want but you know those days are over if you want them to be and maybe if if latency is that important in your app you need to find another way to do it rather than saying oh well i'll just do it with a conventional web server or you make this you make the server able to handle hundreds of thousands of concurrent connections that are kept open for a long period of time so they're only set up once rather than saying, well, come in, ask your question, disconnect, go away. When you come back for the next one, start all over again. Um, So I think, yeah, there are people are going, well, the way I've written my code, it's very hard. I'd have to change quite a lot. That's a fair argument. And the counter argument, which I think the the Chromium Project guys are making, is, you know what, we've been kind of, this has been an inexorable move that it's been obvious we're going there for at least 10 years since the fire sheep account hijacking Firefox browser plugin, infamous browser hijacking plugin, was made available to prove this very point that HTTPS is important. Maybe now you have to bite the bullet and come for the ride with us. Oh, I love mixing my metaphors.
0: Um, there is also I another. Wish I could in- stop
2: doing it, but I can't. <laughs> Don't
0: ever stop, Duck. I enjoy them as well. Um, there was another comment on here that I thought you had a good response to. Uh, the commenter says HTTPS is a lot safer, but there will always be the human factor which attackers in the same network can exploit by redirecting traffic and send them off to a bogus website, tricking the user to download and run a payload, basically a Trojan. This is really only a concern if the client isn't experienced in computers or networking, of course, since there will be a lot of red flags from the client's perspective once the attack is initiated.
2: I'm just looking in the comments quickly because there is a chat called Thomas. So if you're listening, Thomas, I haven't replied to your comment yet. Actually, I probably will have by the time the podcast goes live. What Thomas was asking, he said, throughout the article, you've said, you know, it's, it's, you can't easily do this. It's hard. It's it's nearly impossible, but not absolutely so. Why can't you come out and say, look, HTTPS is just outright better. There's no way around it. And the problem is that, A, you learn quickly in cybersecurity. Never say never because things do go wrong. Um, you know, passwords get cracked that you would have thought would take two times 10 to the 15 decades. But actually somebody does it in an hour and a quarter. And B, there are other ways of hacking systems and actually cracking the cryptography. You could find that there's a faulty implementation. You could get malware on the person's computer. You could trick them into installing a certificate that lets you take over and do a man-in-the-middle attack for the remote site, et cetera, et cetera. So that comment is saying, yeah, you know, maybe maybe it's not such a big deal because there are all these risks anyway. Uh, my counter to that is that, no, well, sure, there are ways of cracking HTTPS encryption that effective, well, effectively cracking it that don't involve actually breaking the encryption. In other words, you just work around it. You put malware on the computer. You modify the browser so that you can actually see the content before it even gets encrypted or after it's been decrypted. You take screenshots secretly that have the data on that you need, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. So, but the point is, if we all use HTTPS outside, then it's kind of like we're protecting. We're then protecting against the eight billion minus a thousand people in the world who might be able to implant malware on your computer. Everybody else in the world who would otherwise be able to sniff it without really trying, without being technically adept, if they just happen to be somewhere on the network between you and the server. Now, it doesn't include everyone in the world. I'm exaggerating by saying eight billion people, but when you use HTTP everything about your transaction can be seen by other people in the coffee shop the nosy neighbors who figured out your wi-fi password or who who you told it to once years ago and forgot to change it your isp law enforcement the government perhaps cyber crooks who hacked into anyone along the way so the problem is that using http opens you up not just to the people who might get into your network and implant malware on your computer that could read your data anyway, but using HTTP opens you up to millions of other people outside. So why not cut those million people off easily by encrypting your stuff with HTTPS gives you more time to worry about the people inside your network.
0: If you want to get in on the conversation, there's a lot of comments happening on this article, or you want to read the article, you can check it out at nakedsecurity.sophos.com. That is Chrome browser has a new year resolution, HTTPS
2: by default. To, to reiterate to Thomas, your comments waiting, and you're saying, you know, are you saying that you can't rule out that TLS might be cracked simply because maybe nothing is impossible? yeah I am I am kind of covering myself there by being strictly correct by saying you can't rule it out, but you might as well do it because if you don't do it, anybody can read your traffic. Everybody can read your traffic. If you use HTTPS, then somebody might just be able to and there's a world of difference between those two situations.
0: All right. we are moving on, Doug. you have a you have a definition for us today.
1: Yeah, let's learn about a tech terms. The a segment we like to call Technology Etymology. And today's word is CAPTCHA, which is apparently, and I say apparently because I was very sure about this until I talked to Paul <laughs> about it and he's taken issue with it, but CAPTCHA is apparently an acronym for Completely Automated Public Turing Test to Tell, which are not included in the acronym, Computers, and, which is not included, Humans Apart. Of course, it might be more officially called
2: if we felt so inclined to include all the words. I've never, ever, ever understood why people insist on having that giant expansion that's just stuck. I think it's because they desperately wanted to get the word Turing in there because Alan Turing, as many of our listeners know, proposed the famous Turing test, which is a way of deciding if machines think. And his argument was, it doesn't matter. We don't we don't know what thinking is. So the way we can define whether a machine thinks is if we can't tell it's a machine when we talk to it. So he just desperately wants to get there. My understanding and the way I very first saw it when it first came out, I think your absurdly long CEDO acronym is just made up to fit. I was taught it meant completely automated procedure for telling computers and humans apart. I like that much better. That's <laughs> And that's all you need to know. It's much easier to remember, but it doesn't have the word Turing in it, you see. yeah. The point yeah. is that those tests, they aren't Turing tests. They don't make it impossible to tell whether you're talking to a computer or a human. They're just designed to add sufficiently much delay that the other end is likely to slow down any robotic system sufficiently much to frustrate it, whilst... Rarely, you hope, interfering with real humans. In other words, it just about tells you apart well enough that it can introduce delays that frustrate the bots without driving humans completely crazy.
1: Uh, no, it's not. It does exactly. Not, it, it does not frustrates work. people named Doug because I fail <laughs> yeah. these all the time. I get so nervous when I see one. It's like, yeah, well, find too. all the stoplights. It's like a, a tiny piece of that stoplight is in the other box. Yeah, see, I've never am I known to that. Here?
2: It says, which of these squares contain vehicles? No, sometimes it says, which of these vehicles contain cars? <laughs> and you're thinking now that street and you can see that the street is in, say, Mexico or the United States. You can tell from the road signs and the side the cars are on. You think, Well, a car like is a van, what we call a van, is that considered a car? Like where do private like goods vic? I are like you, I panic. Like, I don't know. Like there's a little there's a little bit of this guy's wing mirror sticking in the next square. So the answer is you just get it wrong and ask you again (laughs) until you match Mm -hmm. well enough. And the idea is it doesn't actually have to determine whether a human or a computer. It just has to introduce enough delay that a human will eventually get through. Maybe a bot will, but it means a bot will be slowed down to human speed rather than being able to do a million an hour. So, yes, a sort of... Necessary evil some would say But I don't see why Turing needs to go in there And I think that is overstating The very purpose of the test And perhaps very very slightly Demeaning Mr. Turing Completely asinine panic test Cause humans
1: anxious That's what I would call it Completely asinine So go again Completely asinine panic test Cause humans anxious
0: Causing (laughs) humans anxiety Yes. (laughs) yeah. Yes. <laughs> I actually, uh, whenever yeah, I see these tests, I've... I'm like, oh yeah, I like roll up my sleeves. I'm like, I'm ready to go. I
2: I, I have no problems with these tests. Oh no, I just go, okay, find another site. Sorry. <laughs> it's too hard. Tough and fair. Because then okay. just, just when you've got used to, well, you say spot the crosswalks, you're going, oh, pedestrian crossings. And then, you know, you just get used to those and then it's road signs. And you think... But then they have another one that says traffic lights. Isn't a traffic Birds. light a type? But isn't a traffic light a type of road sign? In the UK Highway Code, it appears on when you flip through the pages of Road Signs Illustrated, the traffic lights are in there, and all the. Mm-hmm. Uh, so yeah, I don't know. Just when you think you just when you think you got used to one of another of them. In come the buses. Well, I think it's all philosophical,
1: too. It's like, click on your former true loves. It's like, was this really love with this person or was it an infatuation? Who, whose face do I click on? Here? Robots have gotten out of control. It's anyway, speaking of out of control, let's talk about Zyxel routers with inadvertent password backdoors. It's the stuff of nightmares, an undocumented user account, a hard-coded password, all for the thrill of automatic firmware updates. Updates that, it might be argued, don't need an actual user account to pull off. I suppose Zeichsel's heart was kind of in the right place, sort of, Paul. What's your take on this? What happened and what's what you Yes, know?
2: I took a conciliatory approach, I'd like to think, in my article. My assumption is that they they wanted this mechanism whereby their routers or their firewalls and their access points whether the firewalls could kind of check up on the routers or the root that the access points could call back to the firewalls and get their updates on the network and they could, you know, so it all seemed a great idea. And so they created this account. Uh, it's called ZYFWP, which I'm assuming I used to think meant Zixel. I now know it's Zyxel. I'm assuming firmware patch or something like that. And they, they created this account that they were going to use for, I guess, you're right, the heart's in the right place. They want to improve the ease with which updates will get from the firewall itself out to ancillary devices on the network, like, you know, the... The, the wireless access points that are out there that you know that so that they they're, they're managed hierarchically and make it easier for you and my guess is that they did something they knew they shouldn't because it was just convenient while they were testing and developing and seeing how well this worked and then before it was already uh it accidentally got out in the production build that's my assumption because they have now fixed it basically they had this special account this ZYFWP thing. And uh, it turned out that it was actually an account that could log in, had a hard coded password, and was admin. And didn't show up in the. Reg- when you went to the u- management interface of the router or the firewall and said, show me the users, of course, it was only going to show you the ones that you'd created, not the ones that existed before. So it was kind of this invisible account. So nobody realized it was there. A researcher just happened to notice it in the firmware's password database noticed it had a hashed password, which he thought, that's weird. If this is just a, an account that's needed for, that doesn't need to log in, why does it have a password? And then he figured, well, I wonder what the password is. And instead of cracking it, he just thought, well, let me let me search through some of the executables, the binaries, the program files in the firmware, which presumably if any of the programs are going to use the account that suddenly appeared, maybe they have the password embedded in the programs. And bingo, he got a text string that looked exactly like a password he didn't reveal what it was although the crooks have found it now and so he tried it and he got straight in um, good news he reported it to zyxel they acknowledged receipt of his of his submission the following day that that's that's a a big thing, guys, if, if you do get a bug report from a from a well-intentioned bug hunter, don't leave them hanging and make sure that you've got a mechanism that can reply quickly. That's the best start you can get because it means they know that someone's listening and they were able to uh, fix the problem, apparently. So they've got patches out for most of their devices and a couple of patches for their access points coming out this Friday. So it let's just assume that it was a something that was not, was meant to be was there for all the wrong reasons but in development and test and it somehow escaped from the lab
1: okay so if you're a user you check the company's advisory if you're a programmer you don't want to use hard-coded passwords absolutely you not. don't want to use unchangeable passwords
2: yes that's another issue here is that because this is a secret account and therefore it doesn't show up in the regular user interface, you can't go in and click on it and go disable the account or change the password to something that nobody knows, because it's not meant to be an account that you need to care about. The problem with that, imagine in an emergency like this, an instant workaround will be just going and change the password to something random, because then it, nothing will work, but nobody will be able to no crook will be able to get in but because the account is is not on the list the only place the past the password can't be changed except by doing a firmware update um so that that that's a problem when you've got when you've got these secret accounts that you don't need, and you have set a password, but there's no way to change it except by updating the firmware. You leave yourself with a bigger gap than you need if there's a true emergency like this.
1: Can I ask a question that I am nervous to ask pub- publicly, but I'm, maybe someone else anyway. has
2: this, <laughs> this
1: this question? It's it's a general password question, so and in plain English, I've read the 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 explanations of these things, but I've always wanted just a plain English answer because I get asked this question sometimes. If, okay, you create an account and let's say your password is password, and it gets hashed, if someone else creates an account and their password is password, are those two hashes identical? That is an
2: excellent question. It's a slight subroutine call here, but it's important. It depends obviously and then assaulting the way to yeah make a difference if you're storing the passwords unencrypted then obviously the passwords they're not only unsalted they're unhashed they're going to be stored the same so not only do you know the password you know who chose the same password which might give you some give you some hints about those how similar those users are or even let you tie them together the problem is if as you say if you just hash the password by taking the password running it through a hashing algorithm as it is then everyone who chooses the same password will end up with the same hash and that's the reason why before so-called salting which is where you add some random stuff into the mix that's different for every user that meant that when people were when when people were cracking stolen password databases the first passwords that emerged the ones that were easiest to guess or crack, they actually fell in droves because they're easy because they're at the top of the list because many people choose them. And as soon as you crack them for one person, that might be 20,000 people out of a million all fall simultaneously. So what you would find before salting of passwords where every hash turns out a little bit completely differently is that, say, the first 50% of passwords that hadn't been well chosen, they would literally fall in seconds or minutes whereas the rest might take days or years. So that's, as you say, why you have salting, where every time somebody chooses a password, you add some random data. Now, you don't intend that data to get stolen, but if it does along with the hash, it does mean that two people with the same password will have a different hash. It also means you can't, if you're a crook, you can't build a lookup table or a rainbow table that will help you look up passwords in advance because you would need to buy, build a lookup table for every possible random salt for the same password. So that the answer is, it's very important how you process passwords before you store them. And the last thing, by the way, so you, you, you actually, so the first thing is you salt the password. So you add some random stuff to the beginning that you store along with the hashed password later. You then do the hashing and then you do what's called stretching and you go round and round and round and round and round again just so it takes a little bit longer because the idea is it doesn't take noticeably longer every time somebody logs in. If you do 10,000 iterations of SHA-256, like big deal. They're just not going to notice. Uh, The Linux uh, disk encryption system that I use via Crypt Setup, for example, that chooses a number of iterations that on your computer means that when you unlock your computer, when you boot it up, it will take one second. So one second, once a day, when you start a computer, who cares? But it means that if someone steals my hard disk and they want to crack the password, it will take them a million times longer than it would if you use the password straight away. So how you condition the password and hash it before you store it is indeed very important. Otherwise, two accounts, 10 accounts, 100 accounts could all fall together. Thank you.
1: That's, I thought that that was the answer, and I'm glad that it was. It's weird because you see these breaches, and they'll say, well, all the passwords were hashed. And then people say, but were they salted too? Because yeah. if you see that your data has been breached, and you know that you've been using a common password, like Sesame Street or whatever, oh, shoot, it was just hashed. But not salted, so I know that I really need to act fast to change the password. Here.
2: It also tells you something about how seriously the company takes security. So you know, when you get if you get an email say, "Oh, we we take your security so seriously that we just had a breach and all the passwords are stolen," but don't worry, they were encrypted. When someone says that, you go, "Do you really mean that? That there was a master key for all the passwords, and how was that stored? Or do you actually mean they were hashed? And if they were hashed, do you mean?" they were hashed and salted. And if they were hashed and salted, do you mean they were hashed and salted and stretched by iterating? And which algorithm did you use and whatnot? So if you're in a position where you have to disclose a breach like that, be as honest as you can about the algorithm that you used because it will it will help people uh, set their minds at rest. You know, it, it may mean that obviously they're going to go in and change their password. But if you're using a, say, PBKDF2 with... SHA-256 and 100,000 iterations, and you tell me that, and I found out that you breached my password, I'll figure, you know what? I only saw the breach notification a week later because I wasn't reading my email. I've changed my password. I reckon I'm well ahead of the crooks because it would take them years to crack my password. Whereas if I wasn't sure, I might think, golly, maybe they got me already. So maybe I'm actually behind the curve. So it is. I think if you if you are in the difficult position of having to do a data breach notification and you do have hashed passwords stolen, be open and honest about how you hashed them. Um and unfortunately that means if you were if you were sloppy, like so I did I did I did one MD five with no salt or I stored them unencrypted, you are going to have to take it on the chin when some of your users say, you know what, in the in twenty twenty one that's just not good enough. I'm gonna take my business elsewhere. Which is a good incentive to do it right in the first place, of course.
1: Yeah, so, so table stakes nowadays should be hashed and salted, at the very least, right?
2: Well, you need hashing, salting, and stretching. And stretching. The stretching is where you do the hashing over and over and over and over again, so that it takes, say, 10,000 times longer to compute the hash than it would if you went around the algorithm once. It doesn't cause too much of a hassle when someone's logging in, but it means that if the crooks are getting to the point that, wow, we can crack passwords now, all the passwords in a database within a week, and suddenly it takes them 10,000 times longer, basically you're on the front foot again.
1: Good info. zyxel hard-coded admin password found. Patch now. naked security at .sofos.com.
2: Now it's my Ooh-wee. favorite time of the show. <laughs> Ooh-wee! Oh, yes. Ooh-wee or ooh-no. Yes. You mean... <laughs> <laughs> Ooh, wee
0: its the oh no
2: of the we. Kimberly, I don't think you're supposed um, to be this... that keen on it. It's <laughs> supposed to be—they're mm. supposed to be difficult, troublesome stories. That yeah, you should be more somber. Yes, somber, subtle, somber. That somber's a good, maybe somber's a little bit too far. Serious, perhaps. But no, I, I'm with you. I, I look forward to them. I'm going. Bring it on. <laughs>
0: don't you know the phrase "time heals all wounds"? Mm. Well. This story is a listener-submitted story, and it took place in 1990, Mm -hmm. my second favorite year. Mm -hmm. Now, here we are. It's 1990. Anonymous listener writes, We were newly connected to the global internet and added a 64-kilobit leased line to create what you would now call an IP VPN for a satellite office full of scientists. For the traffic, we had no web, no graphics, just one-liner IRC style text messages and email. It actually worked fine, which was just as well given the cost. Until one weekend, when basically nothing useful got through, yet the line was saturated, all with weird-looking packets of not-quite-random-looking data that had the vague feel of cosmic background noise. After the usual rounds of finger-pointing, a message arrived from a sheepish developer asking whether his recent quote-unquote experiments with streaming audio might have had anything to do with it. Seems he had been sending audio packets between a couple of computers in his lab to play with the sound digitizers in their new workstations for sending packets read broadcasting packets. So all his data ended up traversing not only the LAN segment in his lab, but also the interstate leased line as well. Oh, and he accidentally left his test program running all weekend in the lab. Could that have been a problem? Oh, and he was using one-byte samples, remember A-Law and Mu-Law encoding? At 8,000 Hz. Just about enough for intelligible voice data. And that was it. A precisely continuous 64 kilobits per second of digitized wine from the power supply fan in his workstation. Faithfully encoded and transmitted more than a thousand kilometers to no one at all. (laughs) I think we find him a slab of beers. So it was a case of ales well that ends well. The end.
1: That's lovely. How much was a case of beer in 1990 yeah the top uh that's song in 1990 ending, right? on the billboard music charts hold on by wilson phillips
0: oh that's a goodie an oldie but a goodie
2: well that and that fits well with this right hold on there's no bandwidth <laughs> yeah. left you're gonna have to wait till this buffoon exactly. who is rec- recording the air conditioning um gets off the telephone you're
0: gonna have to hold on for one more day if you have an oh no story for me you can submit it to naked by leaving an anonymous comment on any of our articles or you can email us tips at sophos.com and of course you can dm us we are on social media you can find us at naked security on twitter instagram and facebook and until next time stay Stay secure. All that for an ad.